Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Good morning, and thank you for tuning in to the 2021 Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. My name is Grant Hosinski, and I'm a first-year MBA student at MIT Sloan. It's my pleasure to introduce our panel, The New Sports Fan, Innovation and Data. Our panelists today are Valerie Camillo, President of Business Operations at Comcast Spectacore, Marie Donahue, Vice President of Global Sports Video at Amazon, and Jessica Gelman, CEO of the Kraft Analytics Group. Our panel today will be moderated by Allison Overholt, General Manager at Oprah Daily. The panel will run for about 35 minutes and we'll leave 10 minutes at the end for questions. Please use the chat on the right side of the window for discussions during the panel and the Q&A function also on the right side for questions to our panelists. The questions will then be selected by the moderator. And with that, I will turn it over to Allison. Thank you so much, Grant. Good morning, everyone. What an honor to be here this morning with such an esteemed group of leaders kicking off this year's Sloan Conference with the new sports fan, Innovation and Data Panel. So Jess, it's hard to believe that it was exactly one year, one month, and one day ago that we were sitting on a stage together at last year's conference on the Fanalytics panel. And you know who wasn't sitting there with us? Marie because Amazon figured it out a little quicker than the rest of us. We had all stopped hugging and shaking hands. The elbow bump was kind of becoming a thing, but still none of us truly had any idea that we were on the verge of all that this past year became. So now here we are one year, one month and one day later. And in this very, very first panel of the conference, we're gonna dig into the question everyone wants to understand as we look to emerge from this pandemic. And that is, how are fans different? And as a result, how will the fan experience be different after this year that we've all just been through? So let's start with big picture observations from each of you. We're all familiar with the immediate impacts that COVID had on sports, the interruption of seasons, watching games from home only for a stretch as leagues played seasons with no fans, and then the crashing together of different sports seasons as sports began to return. So this first question for all of you, what's your long-term sense of how COVID has changed the way we will watch, attend, and think about live sports? What are your big picture instincts about what's different now? You wanna start us off, Valerie? Yeah, so I'm obviously involved with the live entertainment, live sports business. Um, Comcast Spectacore owns and operates the Wells Fargo Center and the Philadelphia Flyers. And you know, when I think about how people are going to think about live, uh, live sporting events going forward. The thing that comes to mind to me is the, the pandemic showed us that how, how important community was. And in modern society, one of the very few things that uh, communities, cities come together around in a shared passion with belief and in a sense of agreement is on their sports teams. And so coming out of the pandemic, I think people are going to be hungry first and foremost for community and we as, as operators of venues and sports properties are gonna be positioned to deliver it. And I think it's gonna open up a golden age of live sports and entertainment. That's an exciting prediction, I like it. Marie, how about you, what do you think? Sure, um, so I come at it from a slightly different perspective at Prime Video, um, where we're an OTT um, broadcaster a membership service. Um, so look, I, I think the impact during the pandemic was huge. Um, 
like many people, we really missed live sports when we didn't have it. And especially with fans not allowed into the stadiums, they really needed the support and flexibility of broadcasters. Um, and we found it was a great opportunity to serve our customers even better. Um, so we became, you know, we, we ended up offering more sports this past summer than we were ever planning for. Um, we were delighted to deliver that, deliver them. It was a bit of a reprieve for fans. Um, and I think as a team and as an industry, we've become really adept at moving quickly. And at Amazon, we're really focused at delivering the same high production values. Um, and that runs, you know, from technology through to the, through, through to the end um, user experience. So a few examples, we, we ended up, we created a tennis tournament in the UK. It was the first um, behind the scenes closed door UK tennis tournament with Jamie Murray. We ended up, we worked with the Premier League as part of Project Restart, where we were able to not just take additional matches, but also offer them free to air, which was, uh, rare, which was new over there. Um, and we also created a brand new um, cricket, uh, rugby tournament in the UK. Um, and we also ended up with Bundesliga matches at the last minute. We offered 13 matches as part of their um, project restart. So I think fans were hungry and I think they did find new ways to consume those sports. And we were really happy to be one of the services that was able to really be for them, be there for them during this difficult time. But I think, I think they loved it. Numbers were up. Usage was great. So I do think fans will start to expect more convenience, variety, um, and uh, value from their from their broadcasters. How about you, Jess? Big picture predictions on how COVID has changed things. Well, I think a couple things. First and foremost, I'm going to take a look at it from the fan perspective and what we're seeing. So, first and foremost, there were a lot of new fans who were created during this. I know that we've seen a drop in viewership, but some of the work that we did with the NFL kind of identified early on the number of net new younger fans and more male dominated uh, when they were hosting a smaller group of people at the beginning. Now there's a whole host of reasons around that feelings of safety and things like to that effect. At the same time, we did some work with a company called ninth decimal where we looked at the fans who had historically gone to games in the past and what were their behaviors during the pandemic. And they were less mobile. They were not doing as much. And so there's also this older fan base here that, teams and leagues are needing to deal with and address because they're going to have more fear. So the big things that we're seeing, one is probably a real blurring of things that people got used to and liked about the digital experience. And we're starting to see a tremendous amount of investment to the in-game experience as a result of that. You may have heard or have seen uh, that how many venues have adopted 5G or implemented it during this time, as well as huge investments in a higher level Wi-Fi. That's going to allow for some of the, you know, digital experiences that you were having at home while you were watching games to likely be happening during games. The other component of that, obviously, is that gambling has just massively accelerated during this time. And as it becomes more and more prominent at venues, um, you know, in D.C., I believe that they're going to be able to take bets at games. It's a big thing that Ted Leonsis has been focusing on. But even in like the NFL for this upcoming seasons, there's a number of betting lounges that like the Eagles and the Broncos have created. So that, that connection on the Wi-Fi side, that blurring is very significant. The other major thing 
and Val, I'm sure you can speak to this at ad nauseum, is, is the safety component with folks going to games. In particular, obviously mobile ticketing has accelerated massively. People, like this whole concept of not wanting people to touch things, the contact list. I mean, me personally, I had never used Google Pay uh, before or Apple Pay, I'm not an Apple person, but before the pandemic. I won't give my credit card to someone now. And that those changes with safety, and I think more than that, the communication that teams who have older fans are going to have to have with their fans about the safety precautions that are being taken is just massive. So a blurring of the line and real forward movement in technology at the venues for, uh, for the fans in a positive way that I think will make it a better experience. Val, I'll follow up with you more on that later on so we can get into some of the in-venue changes that, that your organization has already made. But Jess, let's stay with the, the data for a second. Sure. You know, there was so much of a focus in a, across the industry on the return of games, but your group focused on the return of fans and you launched some really important research. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, I'm really proud of the work that we did and uh, big kudos to the Kager team that's continuing to do it. But we created a fan demand index through uh, our future of live events and sports. And we picked 32 markets across the United States to do some web scraping of publicly available information around economic data, COVID infection rate, and then consumer behaviors. Last April, as you kind of alluded to, Allison, here in Boston, we just saw such a dramatic difference from what we were experiencing from the rest of the country. And given the clients that we have that are you know, really across all of the United States, we knew that there were going to be learning. So we wanted to take this macro view and apply it. And so we've been doing this every uh, couple of weeks, sharing it out. And I think the, you know, just where we are today, um, we're probably back to, in terms of fan demand, where we were last November. And a lot of that is really due, and this is across the U.S., and a lot of this is at a macro level, this is due to the vaccinations that have been accelerating massively. Uh, I think we're at about 30% of the U.S. Uh, that can be, um, meaning excluding children, that can get vaccinated. Uh, and probably in about a month and a half, we'll be at over 50%. And that's just so meaningful in terms of people's confidence and safety. But I think what we're, we're seeing meaningfully are the differences between let's call it the Northeast and the West Coast from the South, the Southeast, the Southwest, and a little bit of the Midwest, which is kind of bopping up and down and in between. And really we just see very significant different approaches from the local governments to opening up their markets, as well as you know, politics, unfortunately, playing some significant role. But um, you know, it's been fascinating to see when there's high infection rates in certain parts of the country the fan demand has stayed very high. And then other parts of the country, that's like really the, the South. And then other parts of the country like San Francisco that has had very low infection rates for a long time, but the consumer behaviors to go out and be mobile, which is our kind of predictor of likelihood to want to attend games or one of them, um, it's a multitude of factors. They have remained, their fan demand has remained very low because they're much more cautious. So, you know, we're tracking it really closely and trying to help the teams and the leagues who are going to be welcoming fans back so that they can take the right measures of what it like, what is their fan base actually feeling? And, uh, you know, we've had a lot of organizations support it. The Dolphins have provided data to us. Uh, Zoom has provided information and worked with us. Same with Ninth Decimal. So, um, you know, I think right now we're, even though the infection rate is up, 
right now, about 14% in the last uh, couple of weeks. With vaccinations, we're seeing a huge, huge um, increase in demand overall. Fascinating. So with that fluctuating demand with different circumstances and people's personal sensibilities, you know, Valerie, there's been so much focus on, you know, the negative impact of COVID on sports, but has COVID actually opened the door for your organization to find opportunities to reach new fans? Yeah, I, I would say that it has. And and just to touch on what, what Jess said, um, you know, we did an extensive amount of surveying and, and assessing predicting fan behaviors on, on return. Um, and we found, you know, there were a lot of like dire national surveys very early on about, you know, people will never come back and they, they won't feel comfortable even after the vaccines. And in our local surveys, we were hearing, uh, we were hearing different results. And maybe that's just because you can't scare a Philly sports fan. But we had, a, you know, on, on average 80% plus were saying strong intent to return. But it wasn't just what they were saying on a survey. We had um, durable data in terms of how many of our season plan holders wanted to keep their money on account with us throughout the pandemic shutdown, which I think you know spoke spoke louder than anything else, any other data point that we had. Um, when you have ninety percent of your season plan holders saying, "I want to keep my tickets. I don't want to lose my place in line. You know, hold my money for a year," that that to me was a very a very positive sign that we would emerge perhaps better than what some of the uh, early surveying. Uh, would 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 indicate, but we, you know we have found new ways to reach fans. I'll give you two examples of that. Um, you, during the uh, during the shutdown, we have an annual gritty, who's our who's our mascot, uh, 5K fun run, and it's a costume experience. It's kind of a, a zany live event, and we never really considered it anything other than your standard in person run. And this year, we had to take it virtual because we weren't allowed to operate a run through the city in a traditional way. And we ended up having more participants virtually than we did as a live event. And those participants were from all 50 states and internationally as well. And so that opened our eyes to why would we ever go back to just having an in-person version of this? Like we're going to continue with uh, you know, a live event in Philly and a virtual event for our fans around the world, which there are many. Um, so that was one example. And then another is we just, we, we had a lot of time. I mean, one of the things that sports properties, you know, operating venues, operating teams. It's a 270 event per year business. And you've got to sell the tickets. You've got to market the event. It's on to the next one. You've got to execute. And so you really don't have a lot of time to like sit. You don't have as much time as you want to sit down and think strategically about, you know, investments in tech. And that's why I hired Jess and Kager because they can do that for you. But in the regular course of business, like it's difficult. But this was a year where we had certainly more, more than ample time to do that. And uh, we, we launched a number of special projects looking to make the maximum use of that, that time so that when we came out of it, we would come out of it strong and on an upward trajectory for revenue. Um, and one of the things that we did was in partnership with, um, with actually our linear uh, cable provider, uh, Xfinity, we, we introduced a new way to market tickets. So we would run we figured out a, an algorithm to run 30 second spots across the cable network and um, with the ability to be prompted in that spot to speak into a voice activated Xfinity remote. So it would give you a prompt to say flyers and you hold a button, say flyers, and then it would send you a customized offer that could be acted upon uh, in real time. And in terms of reaching new fans, we saw that 80% of the people who acted upon 
these voice prompted offers were, were new to us. They were not in our database, we didn't know them. And 60% and of them were women. So, you know, that's just one example of taking the time to, to, to invest in a project that otherwise might have always been on the list, but never really quite came to fruition and uh, leverage it to reach new fans to help us come out of the stronger. So let's stay on that for a little bit, because that's a really interesting thing that we have this time of no sports. You can actually then, you know, pivot to, to spend attention focused on thinking about strategic planning, thinking about things that had always sort of been on the bubble, but maybe pushed down um, bit by bit. So that's a really interesting technology investment that you made. What were some of the in-venue changes that you made, the technology investments there that you used this time to implement? Yeah, so the... the from if you would have told me back in in March and you know when when Jess was holding the last version of the Sloan conference, if you would have told me we, when we first shut our arena to public events that we would be it would be a year before we welcomed guests back in the building, I would not have believed you. And so once we realized, you know, as the weeks went on that that this was going to be. Um, really an industry altering pandemic, uh, we, we quickly pivoted towards operational planning. And what do we need to do to change our venue to reopen safely, first and foremost for the public, but also to get their confidence. And so we even thought that that needed to not just be a phenomenal operating plan, it needed to have like a marketing wrap around it. So we, we branded it back to broad, where our arena is on Broad Street. And it had three primary components. The first was investments that we were going to make in the arena uh, from a health and safety perspective. And predominantly, this is a, a, a virus of airborne transition. What we were going to do to focus on air quality within the arena. Um, and we had a, for sustainability purposes, initially an $11 million upgrade for our HVAC system that ended up being completely fortuitous because it also refreshes the air in the arena every 30 minutes. And so from a pandemic perspective, you can imagine how valuable that was to us practically and from a confidence perspective with our fans. So we made a, lot of, a number of tech investments, um, uh, you know, focused on, on the health and safety side. We also um, implemented, designed and implemented an entirely new sanitization process and protocols for the arena, both before, during, and after events. And then the final thing is that, you know, we had is needed to this strong need to identify to, to, to reduce uh, contact points between our, our, our guests and our employees. And so from looking at it from the lens of touchless, we were able to fully adopt NFC technology for digital ticketing for uh, scanning into our, our parking areas for purchase of retail and concessions. And we leapt ahead with the design implementation and rollout of those measures um, under the guise of you know, health and safety. And they were welcomed by fans where in the past, arguably, we were always afraid of adoption and resistance. Um, and so those were kind of the three primary areas. And of course, when we reopened, you know, we've had masking and social distancing and all of those other requirements in the venue, but those were the three primary facets of our, of our operating plan. 
That's really fascinating. You know, we've all read so many predictions in other parts of, of the business world around, you know, this pandemic has caused us to leap forward by, you know, this much time in distributed workflows or, you know, workforce technologies. If you had to put an estimate on it, how far ahead do you think we've leaped forward with these kinds of technologies in sports? I would guess three to five years for us. Um, you know, I was, I was having this conversation the other day with my chief business officer and he said, you know, look, these technologies have, have been around for a decade and most venues haven't implemented them all. You know, you think about like tap and two and some of the other, the other vendors and this forced it across the board. So he was arguing it was actually even longer than that, but my estimates about three to five years it accelerated us. Um, and, and to our benefit, because as, as Jess knows, this isn't just about seamless and frictionless, it's about the data. And so if you're well positioned on the back end to capture, analyze, and leverage the data you're getting from now your parking, your concessions, your retail, your ticketing data that otherwise was unavailable to you, this could actually be an accelerator for our business in that regard as well. Absolutely. So Marie, I want to come back to you for a second here. During this time of no sports, you were you were talking about actually used it to innovate additional sporting event opportunities that you could then bring to Amazon. You know, what other aspects of your content strategy did you adjust or how did this time of COVID adjust how how your team was thinking about things? Well, look, we we always start with the customer. Um, and so so we when we look, we we look first at the customer. And so obviously customers were going through a difficult time. Um, so so we, we, we start with them. Uh, we don't think there is a one size fits all approach. So what you'll see us do when we offered the Bundesliga matches, the restart matches at the last minute, that was very specific for the German fan. Um, and so you'll see that um, we, we, we actually have not adjusted our thinking too much because we start with customers so much. We believe in there's not one size fits all. So that's why sometimes we do exclusive deals. Sometimes we do local deals. Sometimes we do multicast deals. Um, so the way we look at it is we like to be flexible and innovate and iterative. And there's one thing we do. I think uh, we talked about this, Allison, a little bit um, when we were prepping. We see things as one-way doors and two-way door decisions. So a one-way door decision is a, it's almost impossible to reverse, or it's really hard to reverse. It's almost like for those in the audience, it's like quitting your job on a whim. Um, it's something you really need to think about hard. You really want to, it's very hard to reverse. We think a lot of what we do in sports, particularly with the way we um, are flexible and agile at Amazon, it's a lot of two-way door decisions. So we're able to iterate. If we don't like what we see on the other side, we jump right back. Um, and I also think what we're focused on, we're, people are always surprised that, of course, if we have data, if we hear something from our customers or we see their behavior, that trumps all. That even anecdotes from customers are very valuable to us. But there's plenty of times we don't have data. And so we look at things as, are these two-way door decisions? Can, can we make decisions that we can learn from, adapt, or reverse if we need to? Um, so, so we, we kind of kept our same approach, and, but we did have more opportunities as mentioned. Um, and obviously, um, innovate, as Val was talking about, our produ on the production side, we've just innovated immensely and moved forward probably a few years as well. Um, so, so yeah, so, so we, we kept the same approach, but found more opportunities to serve customers. 
That's interesting to hear about the places where you look for data to rely on and times when there isn't data available and you find different ways to make decisions. And, you know, we were hearing earlier from Jess about some of the underlying data sets that, that you're drawing on in order to create your models. Valerie, are there any specific data sets that you use as you think about making the sorts of decisions that you've had to make? You know, I talked a little bit about the survey work that we did. Um, you know, we, when I, when I think about the data that we leveraged to um, to look about to look at our, our our operational planning, I mean, we had some pretty um, sophisticated modeling looking at the the air refresh in the arena um, and really measuring the the assertions made by by some of our, our HVAC technologies. And would they be able to deliver that? And could we say that to the public? And so that was one area specifically around operations. On the on the fan side, um, you know, we we were looking at building out some more sophisticated models that would help us coming out of the pandemic. And one of them is a customer lifetime value model, um, and that is aggregating and pulling together all of the disparate data that we have. And again, this was just another one of those projects that we didn't have time for. Um, pulling together all of that data to sort of say which of these customers, when they enter into our system at any point, models out and predicts to be, you know, more valuable over the life of their relationship with us than others. And in turn, if we know who they are, how would we modify our behaviors, our offers, our pitches, all of those things uh, against that? And that was actually a, a project that, that we did in, in, in concert with Kager. And now coming out of the pandemic, we're leveraging that data in unique ways to, to offer specific targeted marketing um, uh, messages and then also offerings. And we think it's gonna have uh, a much smarter allocation and use of our resources, both time and, and financial. Yeah, and maybe I'll just jump uh, in here. Absolutely, Jeff, I was gonna say, tell us more about that. Well, I mean, not specifically on that, but one of the challenges is like, what is the data that we do have access to of what the fans are doing? And so in this case, it was like, which, which fans or customers are actually engaging with things like the gritty 5k? Uh, I mean, that's like an extreme example, but just in general was overall email opens or social media interactions up. And uh, who were the types of fans that were more engaged? The perspective of uh, customers keeping their money on account, like that's an actual behavior and piece of information as impactful as the people who didn't. Who are the ones that are going to be at risk who are pulling their money? What is that telling us about maybe their financial situation? So the surveying super critical to give insights into the particulars, but then broadly, where can we take these more specific learnings? And so we did a bunch of work around this and we created a, a COVID factor where we're trying to identify what are some overarching behaviors of the, of, for our clients of their actual data that is indicative of concern these people might not come. And then what are some of the specific actions you, that you can take? And I think I loved Val, what you said about um, having a marketing wrapper around, around what you, what, uh, how you're engaging with the fans. I mean, that's so true. You're seeing this, this um, different customers and different types of customers need, need unique communication. So uh, an older fan, a more tenured customer, which you know obviously you have a lot of in football or hockey, like they're going to want to know that they might have a special gate that they get to come in early and get situated that the consequences of taking off your mask as an example is, is going to be significant. Like fans want to know that 
if you're not following the rules that are in play, that there's going to be uh, an action that's taken. And that's very significant to communicate to that fan base. For the new fans, the younger fans, they tend to be younger in nature. The, the communication is different. They want to know, like, we're all dying to get back together, you know, and be, I, I have not sat in a restaurant and had a meal, but I think the younger fans maybe have. So they want to know that they can have this kind of congregating area that is safe, that there is some um, distance, but that's also very significant. So what is the difference in the communication that needs to happen to that particular group? The other thing I wanted to mention that I think is, is you know, uh, Marie, that is like an important component of this is one of the pieces of information that the teams and leagues don't have as much of is like, what is actually, what are their fans actually watching and understanding that. And, you know, I don't, that, that battle for data as an asset is significant. And I don't see like a clear time when that information can or will be shared, but for teams, like they need to know who's tuning in and how the behaviors are changing. But again, like that's a, that's a really challenging thing to be able to share. That's it's the core, obviously, to Amazon's business, and um, you know you hope that there'll be some more integration over time and ways to share information without sharing the data. Absolutely. So let's actually spend a little bit of time on on that the streaming world versus the the live in person experience. Um, you know, obviously, the last year streaming kind of became everything for a while. Um, and so it's so tempting to frame up this streaming versus live debate um, and ask leaders like you, Valerie, you know, how are teams and leagues planning to stay competitive with streaming for attracting fans? But do you even see it as that kind of debate? How, is it a binary choice in that way? How are you thinking about your relationship with streaming companies moving forward? No, I don't, I, I don't see it as competitive. I see it as complimentary. I mean, we can only on our, on our best night, get 20,000 people into the Wells Fargo Center for a Flyers game. There are way more than 20,000 people who want to engage in our product. And they're, as we mentioned before, all around the world. So, you know, when we think about our, our broadcast, our stream, we think about it in terms of aspiration to attend and deeper engagement with the team when you can't be there in person. And, um, you know, if you ever wonder why we're in and out of a, of a commercial break uh, in a broadcast, the, uh, the cameras will, will show fans having a lot of fun on the concourse or, you know, a, a kid getting his, his or her face painted or um, eating, you know, yummy arena food. Like the reason that we do that is it creates this, this aspiration to like, oh, I want to go. That looks like fun. I have a live experience you know, it's, a, it's an invitation. So I see them as, as, as totally complimentary in, in that regard. Um, you know, and, and live events are different. We talked, I talked at the beginning about the sense of community. And I think there'll always be that, that desire to be there, to be part of that moment, right? Like to create this memory that can be passed through generations of this, I was there feeling to it. And I think in particular, hockey is a sport that is best consumed live, um, not only for the sight lines, but because of the sensory experience of it, the cold, the, um, the intensity and the passion of the crowd, all these different things. So they're absolutely complimentary. And, and that being said, Marie should still bid on our rights because they're incredibly valuable. <laughs> um, but the, uh, they're, they're, they're complimentary and they feed off each other just as much as, as, as streamers and broadcasters need the live experience to be vibrant. I mean, when you watched 
a Flyers game when there were no fans in attendance. We were pumping in crowd noise. It was different. And I don't know that it was necessarily a better presentation on stream or on broadcast than that same product with all the fans there. That's my opinion. Marie, jump in here. You just, you just yeah. made a really big deal with, you know, <laughs> no less than the NFL. Tell us about the relationship that streamers are building with, uh, with the leagues. Yeah, no, I th- look, I, th- I agree with Valerie. I think it's totally complimentary. I, I think we've been, obviously we're a streaming comp- we're, we're, we're a streaming service. And so we've, we've been really encouraged by what we've seen. In addition to streaming more events than, than ever before, you know, the last quarter for us was our strongest viewership. Um, we had our strongest viewership ever. We had the opportunity to stream an exclusive NFL game. Um, which uh, the 49ers against the Cardinals. Um, and we, 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 we drew about uh, over 11 million, 11.2 million total viewers, um, which was the highest digital average minute audience ever for a regular season game. Um, and, and we just think uh, anytime you can serve that many fans and in a customized way, which we like to do, we actually think we can bring the fans closer to the teams and um, get the, enable them to have a customized experience, which I think benefits um, both the live experience, the team and our, our customers. We, we do all sorts of innovation to engage fans during the broadcast. Obviously, the, ga- the game is paramount. We never want to distract from that. It has to be intuitive and natural. We never take you away from the game. But we offer all sorts of opportunities for you to, for fans to activate other, um, other innovations, things like and next-gen stats we do with the NFL. You know, those are the stats that come from the um, shoulder pad of the football players. And so, you know, it's separation, it's time in pocket, it's all sorts of things, and it's instantaneous highlights, and it's, uh, we offer different different audio options. On the NFL, you can listen to Hannah Storm and Andrea Kramer, the first time ever two women have called an NFL game. Um, so, no, we, we just think it's, it's totally complimentary. And in fairness, we wouldn't have, uh, events to stream if folks like Val didn't produce them. So I think uh, I think it's it's just a way to surround the fan. I love that. I, don't, so, I was ahead. also going to say, uh, Marie. Also, the quality of the like crispness of the Amazon Prime streams is so good. Uh, you know, I think the the amount and the number of different languages that you guys can do those streams in across the world, it's also going to really, I think, massively accelerate the number of fans who are having access to information. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jess. We, we really pride ourselves on that. It's not easy. And we wouldn't do it if we couldn't do it um, in, a, in, in a really high quality way. And yeah, that's something, you know, it, it, it's an opportunity now. Fans have more content, more availability. Sometimes it's more expensive, but it's also a tough time for fans. It's harder to find. The value sometimes isn't there. And so we really believe that we're going to have to focus. We, we all, and we particularly at Amazon, are focused on value, convenience, and selection. And so that convenience, just when you talk about it, I mean, we're in over 240 countries. We're on practically every device. We have to help fans um, figure out how to navigate um, have how to navigate this more complicated world. I think we have it a little easier. We're different. I always have to explain we're a membership service. So if you have prime, you'll have exclusive assets. You'll have those 15 exclusive Thursday night football games. You don't have to pay extra. If you live in Washington state and you're, and you're a prime member, you get the sounders. It's, it's not that complicated. You don't have to go check your credit card statement and figure out 
which service you're paying this month. So, um, so thank you for saying that. Uh, and we're really excited to do even more and innovate even more. That's great. All right, we're going to pivot to taking some questions from the audience in a second here. I just want to close out this part of the panel with a last lightning round prediction from each of you. Um, so this year was obviously this huge disruption, but what is your prediction on fan behavior? Are we going to see fans just snap back like a rubber band to their old in-person habits? Are we going to see a sea change in behavior? Or are we on the verge of a new roaring 20s, new era of hedonism? I'll, I'll kick it off here because we actually have done some work uh, across all of the leagues. Uh, obviously, now you have the NBA and NHL along with MLS coming back and, and MLB. But I mean, the, the NHL is coming back. They have greater capacity. More, more fans are able to attend games. But the sell-through and the actual attendance has been lower than what we've seen in the NBA. The NBA has more games, though. Like, so they have more, pe- more um, teams that are, are having people uh, at games. And what we're seeing, in, again, this is very early data, but for teams that have had 15 plus games, the initially there's huge pent up demand and, and people want to go back. But then there's this inflection point at 15 games where we're starting to see less sell through of the tickets. And so that's actually really interesting as to why. And we saw a little about it, a little bit of this with the Australian Open, um, where they, they didn't sell out even and Australia is much more advanced in terms of the the impact of COVID across that country. They're basically almost fully open at this point in time. So um, I think the, I think the impact or this focus is going to be like really marketing to these new fans and getting the, the older fans more comfortable. But, um, but I do think there will be a slow return um, in many cases, and it's going to be very incumbent upon the teams for that great communication and clarity of communication. Marie and Valerie, what do you think? Yeah, so look, I, I do think people are eager to return to some form of no- normalcy. I, I, you know, I agree with the panel. I don't think we're fully there yet. Uh, but I do think when time is right, people will return to stadiums in full force. Um, uh, the community aspect, as Val said, it is incredibly important and irreplaceable. I'd also say, you know, we can't predict the future, but I'm pre- personally, I'm pretty sure some of these changes we've seen the last 12 months will be permanent. Things like we've seen cord cutting accelerate. We've seen remote production accelerate in a great way. Um, We've seen streaming as a reliable, feasible option for live sports broadcasting, often a preferred option. When uh, when, um, our exclusive NFL game, uh, we found the time spent uh, watching that game was 15 minutes longer than the average spent on a televised NFL game. Um, so this is a real opportunity and, and fans are responding in a good way. The one thing I'll say is, you know, at Amazon, we always say it's day one, which basically means you have to keep this attitude that it's day one of a startup. And so um, that's our attitude. And, and we, we just think these changes are just going to drive so much opportunity to innovate. The broad broadcasting is ripe for innovation. Advertising is ripe for innovation and customer experience is ripe for innovation. And so it's just an incredibly exciting time. And for those in the, in the audience who are thinking of getting into sports, it's, I've never, I've never seen it so ripe for innovation and, and such, such, such change and shifting sands. And, and that's opportunity for folks who want to get into this, this arena. Yeah, I would, I'd answer it in, in two ways, a, a short term and a long term. I agree with Jess, like we're in a period of transition right now in terms of attendance where 
There are some guests who are comfortable returning. There are others who are more reluctant in it, not only because of their concerns around the pandemic, but because there are protocols in place. Uh, we, you know, we've seen from some of our surveys that fans have said, you know, I intend to return when I'm not required to wear a mask throughout the event or, you know, keep my distance in this way or, you know, not be able to go into our, our concourse bars and restaurants. Like when it is a, is an, a normal experience, the, the experience that they remember when they left. And so we know it's a period of, of, of transition, but my long-term answer remains what I said at the beginning is that, you know, I think when, when people reach that level of comfort and when the, when the operating protocols return, to more uh, normalcy, it's gonna it's gonna open up a golden age of people. You know, I've streamed all the things, Marie. I've been on Amazon Prime. I'm not <laughs> there's anything left for me to watch, um, and I'm so anxious to to get out. Uh, and you know, my my husband is fully vaccinated, and I, you know, and I'm not. And he's um, I haven't seen him. It's like we broke up. He's moved out. He's <laughs> with other vaccinated people and it, I'm like now I'm like left to scheduling in my calendar a look ahead for when I think I can re-enter the world and all the things that I want to do the restaurants I want to go to the vacations I want to take and I just think it's going it, it's going to ex explode it's just been such a tough year um, and I think the business that of, of live sports and entertainment which includes our concert business of course as well which is on a more of a delayed lag than than even sports and entertainment to return because of some of the economic uh, models of that of that business, but I, you know, I think it's going to be a golden age, and people are going to really enjoy just being together. Being together with strangers is a great thing. I, I, I want to say one more thing. Sorry, the this uh, the NFTs, the non fungible tokens that that are yeah. becoming so pervasive and important. That's actually going to be huge for live sports because the ability to tie those NFTs to a ticket to an experience at a game. Um, that is going to be something that is going to hugely differentiate sports teams and bring people back in a meaningful way because there's an exclusivity to it and you can actually track it and monetize it. So the technology that's coming, and by the way, the data that will come out of that is just huge. Fascinating. All right. So we've got a question here on, uh, on gambling and we only just briefly touched on gambling. So let's dive into this one. Um, the questioner says it's really interesting seeing the view from the U.S. on gambling and betting at sports venues compared with the U.K. Everything in the U.S. seems to be about boosting ease to bet, while the U.K. is all about trying to reduce betting. Do you think this will be a five to ten year boom before government regulations become stricter again? Or do you think this is just the beginning in the U.S.? Who wants to grab that one? I mean, I'll start with that. I think it's the there's going to need to be a number of protocols and processes that are put in place as we see potentially the effect of gambling um, if it's not kind of um, you know managed in in a good way. I mean, from my perspective, it's all about engagement and making it fun um, and having people more engaged. So, I you know the the UK has actually been something that the, the US has looked at for a long time is this is a really great way to engage fans in a different way. And I think this ability to do it in venue because of the technology advances and the fact that there won't be any uh, delays, that's been the biggest inhibitor to doing it um, in venue historically. I think it's gonna be great because, I mean, we all do it when we go to games today, right? hey, who do you think is going to score this? Or what's this play going to be? Like, we're all doing it. And to be able to actually, like, with your friend, 
do it in real time and then celebrate, it's going to create more of that community, more of that experiential um, opportunity with fans uh, at games. So I, I think it's going to be a boon. Fascinating. All right. Here's one that I think maybe Marie start and then Val tell us if you think it impacts you and then just wrap up on any thoughts. Uh, would love to hear some thoughts on fan controlled football on Twitch and the implications of their early success. It feels almost gladiator-esque in the sense that fans influence the outcome. What do you think? Yeah, no, they're doing some great things. And obviously um, we work with Twitch all the time. It's a, it's an Amazon company. Um, and and we, we show Thursday night football on Twitch. And uh, it comes back to what we've been talking about a lot today. It's engagement. It's the ultimate engagement when you can actually control what happens on the field. Um, so yeah, very exciting. And, um, and, and it's, it's one where what's so fascinating about it is we we really in professional sports, generally, we don't want to distract from the game on the field. And so I think what they've been able to do is they're not distracting. They've made you a part of it. So it's really interesting. Um, something to continue to watch. Um, we love working with Twitch. They're a little bit, they're like our sandbox. So you, we've, we've been doing, um, overlays and interactivity on Twitch for several years now. And it's an incredibly um, interactive and fan engaged platform. So it works really well on Twitch. Um, So we're going to see fan influenced hockey anytime soon. We might, I want to go back and touch on the prior question about, about gambling, because that's already arrived for, for uh, in Pennsylvania. And one of the things that I've been that I've been thinking a lot about is just referenced earlier that that sports ratings have been down in, in some areas, and it has not been down for the Flyers. Our ratings have been up sixty percent this season, year over year. And it's important to note that that there's no been a, there's been no appreciable difference in team performance. Um, so what is driving that? I mean, certainly the pandemic is 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 part of it, but it's something that we're looking at is you know is the legalization of sports gaming creating an uh, enhanced interest and, and draw to the game. And we're really only scratching the surface through of, of the integration and broadcast of betting lines and conversations around, you know, how to think about these things. And it, it just strikes me, you know, I'm in the industry, so I kind of am familiar with the terminology of sports betting, but how many people will ask me about, you know, how do I do this or what does that mean? And so I, I, I do think we're at the beginning of a very transformative period with sports gaming and how it's going to impact not only the live event experience, because we're certainly bringing some of these elements into game presentation and into arenas, but certainly also broadcast and stream as well. Jess, any last thoughts to close us out? No, this was a great uh, panel. Thank you guys so much. And thanks for all of you for joining. I really, I learned a ton. So I'm doing the, I'm doing the, I'm doing the gritty 5k next year, Val. Great ideas, great insights from these incredible leaders to kick us off this morning. Thank you all for joining us um, and thank you for the conversation. This recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics. Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.